Hallelujah, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. 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 The Holy Gospel according to John, the 20th chapter, beginning at the 19th verse. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of our Lord. Good morning. It is a great pleasure to be with you today. Uh, I'm wearing multiple hats, all of which are invisible, but I will explain them all now. Uh, it's hard for me not to come with a word about Lutheran Road Relief, the place where I worked for eight years before coming to PLU. And it's hard for me not to come without a word about PLU, the place where I've worked for the last year and a half with great joy. Uh, but primarily I'm coming with a word of thanks to you and a word from the gospel for today. So thank you for having me. And thank you for all the ways in which you support both of these important ministries of the church and many others. Would you please pray with me? Seeking, sustaining God, you teach the hearts of all creation by sending to us the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant that by that same Spirit, we may believe with fullness and confidence the promises you have made to us. Guide us as we seek to know your fashioning truth. 
as we are formed by your word for us today. In the name of your Son, the creating, crucified Lord, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. My mother-in-law, a POU graduate, likes to tell a story about my wife when she was the same age as my daughter. So I have a four-year-old daughter, well, four and a half, and the half is very important, very important. She's almost five, as she reminded us last night, and we have a two-year-old son. So my wife was about the same age when she was at home with her mother, and her mother, if many of you can channel back to the time or think about last night even, when you had your four-year-old tucking them in, and she said to her mother, I don't want to be alone, don't leave me. And my wife, Elsa was just pleading with her mother. My mother-in-law said to her, oh, don't worry, I'll be just downstairs. And don't worry, God is always with you. And my wife scowled, and she thought about it, and she said, but I want someone with skin on. And I can just hear my daughter saying the same thing to me. Skepticism and trust of a child. The Bible is split on whether or not we should have faith like a child. First Corinthians says, you know, I, as a child I thought like a child, but I gave up childish things. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Mark, tell us that unless you have faith like a child, that's what Jesus says, let the little ones come to me. But my question for today is really when did doubt become uh, not part of faith. When did faith become doubtless? The Russian novelist Dostoevsky said that it is not as a child that I believe and confess Jesus Christ. My Hosanna is born of a furnace of doubt. A furnace of doubt. And Paul Tillich, the theologian, was channeling a far earlier statement by St. Augustine when he said that doubt is not the opposite of faith, it's a critical component of faith. So when did doubt become something bad that we should scorn, rather than something woven through our faith journey, something necessary to the very life of faith? Uh, maybe I missed something, because as growing up as a pastor's kid in northern Minnesota, uh, people usually say two things to me. Wow, you're really well-adjusted, <laughs> considering your background. Or they say, oh, that figures. Uh, but I, apparently, even despite my father's good attempts, I have a fairly one-dimensional view, I, I have had a fairly one-dimensional view of our text for today. What do we think of when we think of Thomas? We think of doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas. And doubt is bad, and we should strive to have faith without doubt. That was the lesson I was taught growing up. But instead, I think in rereading this, I went back to the beginning of the chapter 20, the very beginning. And you see in chapter 20, throughout John, a progression of confession. A progression of confession that begins at the tomb with Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene. And Mary sees her and doesn't recognize her at first, thinks that he's the gardener. And then he calls her by name, Mary. She then goes and tells the disciples who are all locked away in their house and hiding. Then he appears to the disciples, and again he speaks to them, peace be with you. And it's in that speaking that they recognize this Jesus. Now Thomas's confession comes at the end of this progression of confession. It's the third time within, the chap within chapter 20. 
And I would like to posit that Thomas's is the truest confession, and that Thomas's confession is for us. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. In fact, God invites us to question. God requires us to. And Thomas's confession is for us, for all of us who will never be able to put our fingers in the side of Christ or our hands in his hands. Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. Thomas's question and confession are for us, I believe. And such, I think, is the power of critical questioning, of doubting, that it reveals deeper truths, more authentic testimonies, testimonies that can live and breathe in this conflicted and crazy world in which we live. The world needs more questions, more doubts, because faith without doubt is fanaticism. Without question, that's fanaticism. And we need to look only at our political sphere today to see what happens when you have people who follow unquestioningly, doubt without reservation. Our, need, our world needs more doubt, I think, and critical questioning, respectful questioning, questioning that holds on to love and hope and a willingness to live together. When Lutherans came to this country in many generations, they came with big questions. How do we live in a country where our religion is not state-sponsored? How do we live amongst so many other faiths? Where should we place our flag of faith? And their answer, though many, I think centers around two very important pieces, thoughtful inquiry and service. Thoughtful inquiry and service. Two elements of Pacific Lutheran University's mission statement, incidentally, but thoughtful inquiry, education. Lutherans came to this country and they founded schools of higher education across this nation, high quality schools for elementary students, high school students, and college students. And they founded high quality institutions of social service. So much so that one in 50 Americans is still served by a Lutheran social service institution. More than any other religion in the United States, more than the Catholics, more than the Jesuits, one in 50 from all the Lutheran social services of every state to LSA, Lutheran Services in America, to Lutheran World Relief, that has a global focus on behalf of this church. Education, thoughtful inquiry, and service. The world in which we live, the world that our children will inherit and that our students at PLU will inherit, I think is one that is filled with critical questions that need answering, and not quick answers. Not simple answers, not bumper sticker answers, thoughtful answers. Part of my previous job was to travel to the countries in which Lutheran World Relief was working. And I know that this church has generously supported that ministry. And to visit places in which that group had been working and to then share the stories of those communities. I was in Indonesia in 2014, shortly before coming to the Pacific Northwest visiting a community, a coastal community, that had been ravaged by the tsunami in 2004 or 2005. Communities almost wiped off the map. LWR had been working there for 10 years and had been rebuilding livelihoods and homes, building back better, preparing for the next disaster. And one project in particular, mangrove reforestation, was just fascinating. 
Mangroves are natural barriers against tsunamis and coastal waves and coastal surges. They have a deep root system that spreads out. They allow, uh, they're a, a natural place for fish to uh, spawn and to reproduce. So they rehabilitate fisheries. Coastal communities can harvest the fruit for them and make them into jellies and medicines. Through LWR, that particular project had planted over a million mangroves along kilometers of coastal lines. And as we toured the, the 10 years of work and saw the growth happening, one of the chiefs of a local island community was speaking to us, and he spoke with such pride about the work that he had done, that they had done, that they had accomplished together. And then he said, as his face fell, but of course, we're losing a meter of shoreline a year. I don't know how much longer we'll be able to stay. Halfway around the world in West Africa, I traveled multiple times to the country of Mali. Mali, which recently has been racked by insurgency and civil war, before that was listed last on almost every list of human progress. It's a landlocked nation in West Africa with very few natural resources. LWR had been working there on your behalf for over 30 years. In one particular community, the Dogon community, in the center of this place, where people had been living for centuries, carving out homes and cliff sides, harvesting water. It rains two months out of the year there, and they have to use that water in cisterns for the other 10 months. I was meeting with one community who had been given access to credit, to markets, to facilities to rebuild their community and to build, up, to build back better. And it was an amazing picture of thriving gardens and thriving economies and a woman who had sent her five children to school for the first time in her life, who was saving and giving back to others who were less fortunate in her community. And I asked her about the good work that had been done, and she said, all we needed was water. Just give us water. God provided the growth. And I said to her, so what is your, what's your prospect for the future? And she told us wonderful stories, and then she said as her face fell, of course, the desert is encroaching, and it's raining less and less. It's taken us 10,000 years of human history to get to our current level of food production in the world. Now, in order to feed the world, we have to double food production in 35 years. Climate change, food insecurity, these are the challenges of our century. The world is ever in need of more critical questions, more thoughtful inquiry, creative solutions that address these global challenges. And it is a confession of our faith, I believe, that we do question, that we do doubt, and that we invest in the future of our children and of people that we will never meet, that we invest in their capacity to solve these problems, if only given the chance, if only given the resources, if only given the education to do so. We invest in students and communities believing in their ability to solve these problems. It's why biology students, are, why natural science students at PLU are required to take a biology course, because plant science and feeding the future are critical challenges. It's why communities are brought together in community development organizations and given grants and loans rather than handouts, because we believe it builds internal capacity. It's why students at PLU are taught to discern their vocation 
and given a toolkit for discernment rather than a singular skill set that will fail them later in life. Given a toolkit to brave the unknown future. We invest in these people and these students and these children because we believe in their capacity, just as our forebearers invested in the immigrants of this region and in the people of this world. We also do things like give physical resources, physical signs of solidarity to people that we will never meet. I know that this church has produced many quilts over the years, many school kits and health kits. I was in Tanzania a few years ago visiting a community on the slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro. There's a hospital there started by some Franciscan monks and staffed by Italian doctors. And the goal of this, church, this school is to, uh, to have surgery on children who have debilitating physical uh, illnesses and ailments. Hands that are disformed, legs and feet that are disformed, physical ailments that prevent them from walking and playing and living and working. These Italian surgeons work with Tanzanian surgeons to teach them and train them. There are 72 beds there for 72 patient children. And then there are 72 other beds for the mothers of those children to stay while their child is undergoing surgery and recovering. Every child, when they arrive, receives an LWR quilt, as does every mother. And those quilts keep them warm on cold mountain nights. And it's theirs to keep when they leave that place, a sign of love and solidarity. When I was there visiting the hospital, uh, Father Justin gave us a tour of the facility. He's a very proud man, Tanzanian priest. He's giving us a tour of this facility. And we came to the courtyard at the end of the tour, and there were children playing on a merry-go-round, and there were other children playing on monkey bars and other things. And there was one girl in particular who was wrapped in a quilt, and she was squatting by a red brick wall, warming herself in the morning sun. Father Justin said, do you see that girl there? I said, we do. He said, when she came here, her leg was so impaired that she could not run. And she was so embarrassed by the leg that she would often not want to play with other children. And he said, and she was in such constant pain that she would not smile. And as he was telling us this story, the girl literally stood up, and this quilt fell from her shoulders like Jesus from the tomb. And she ran with a smile on her face to a merry-go-round. And then he said, do you see that phrase on the wall there? It's written in Swahili. I said, yes, I see it. I said, what does it say? It says, children are the smile of God. Our God is one who has been and is of this world. A God made manifest in the smiles of children, in the lives of our neighbors, in our communal capacity to love and to care and to question together. The great temptation, I think, is not to doubt, but to believe blindly, to cease questioning, to stop discerning, to disengage from this life in order to safeguard that which we believe we have or hold or own. And I think the good news for us this day is that even as we doubt and question, 
Our God is the God of Thomas and Mary. A Christ formed by the cross. A Christ who lived and wept and suffered and died and has risen. This amazing, claiming God who loves the vulnerable and those on the periphery of society, whose word is proclaimed from the dark places of life. An irrational God who seeks out lost sheep and lost coins and lost children, the least, the last, the lost, the leprous, the left behind. This is our God, a God who loves you, a God with skin on. Amen.